Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we, we thank you. We praise you that you are the most wonderful Father, Lord. And we celebrate every day that, that we've got a Father in heaven that loves us beyond our ability to even comprehend it. And Lord, I do pray that there would be a, a wonderful move of the Holy Spirit on each one of us here today, that our fathers, or even fathers, an example to others, like having sons in the faith. And, and we ask God that, that as the days go on, that, that who you are as a father to us would be really, it, it would just invade who we are, that that would be seen by our children, that they would see you in us as we raise them for your glory. So I bless you, Lord. I thank you so much that, that we get to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today. And we get to sing about the wonderful Son that you've given us, the gift, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And we pray today, Lord, that as we look at your word, that you would just bless us with its truths and that its truths would, would build us and encourage each one of our hearts and would mold us and make us more like you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you can turn to Genesis 37. Uh, I do want to tell you that just to stay faithful to the integrity of the scripture, Genesis 36, we, we ended up in 35 last week, but Genesis 36 is really a genealogy of, of Esau's family. And, and one of the things, the mistakes that Esau made, now, now remember it says Esau took wives of the daughters of Canaan. And, and that was something that God did not have him plan, you know, that there would be a spiritual defilement that would take place by marrying the pagans of the land. Um, and, and Abraham, when he sent his servant out to look for Isaac, he said, make sure you don't take a wife from the Canaanites, but of my own people. So we could see in this line, they settled down uh, just south and in, in, in west of the Dead Sea. But through them, some of the enemies of Israel would be on the scene, the Amalekites. But you can read that. I'm going to save you the time of just listening to me mispronounce like 80 names that are in this. But that is the Esau of G, in the genealogy, or I'm sorry, that's the genealogy of Esau. So, but we're going to be picking up in, in Genesis 37. And one of the things about Genesis 37, all the remaining chapters till we get to the end of the book, except for next week, we're going to be taking a look at Judah. They really focus on this one character, and his name's Joseph. And, you know, one of the things we need to recognize is that the human author of the book of Genesis was Moses. And we know that Moses, we know the whole plan with Moses, how he was put there in the bulrushes, and then Pharaoh's daughter found him, then sent him back with his sister to be nourished and to be raised by his mother till he was of age to come live in Pharaoh's house. But I can only imagine his mom knowing the history of their people and just emphasizing so much the truths that she knew from creation up to the point of Moses because they didn't have Bibles to reference. They just had these truths that they knew through their people. And I can't imagine how much emphasis from her or maybe just impact upon him that this character, this individual, Joseph, that we're going to be looking at because 13 chapters are assigned to him in the book of Genesis, 50 chapters. So a quarter of the book really focuses on this man. And I pray the Holy Spirit would give us focus on this man today because, you know, there's a lot of heroes to have in life. Like me and my son, we've been watching, I haven't done this in a while, but we've been watching the NBA championship 
uh, series, and I'm like, that Steph Curry is a freak with a basketball. You know, and I know a lot of kids, man, that's their hero. And, and you know, I think about, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not up on things. I'm not hip anymore, you know. And, and I, you know, I know names like Justin Bieber, you know, and people that other people look up to as heroes. And, but I don't know any of them anymore because all my heroes now come from the Bible. And this guy that we're going to look at today, he's one of my heroes. When I get to heaven, he's one of the first ones I want to look up right after Jesus. And I just think he's an amazing man. The other day I was talking to my son on the way home from his dentist appointment. He starts laughing. I'm like, what are you laughing at? He goes, Dad, all you talk about is the Bible and God. And I'm like, what else is there to talk about? I mean, really, it's, it's just a sustenance of life. And as I look at this guy... I just can't get over him. I've looked at his life over and over and over. And to me, he's just an amazing individual. But here's one of the things that I want to challenge you with. There's going to be a couple challenges as we come out of the gates of the life of Joseph. This man takes away all our excuses. He could have said, well, if I was raised better. If I wasn't raised in such family dysfunction. If my mom didn't die when I was young. If I wasn't abused, mistreated, and degraded. He didn't use any of those excuses. This individual had no Bible. He had no empowerment being baptized by the Holy Ghost. He had no other like-minded believers alongside him. His brothers were full of compromise. But what he did have was God. In your life, you need to know, God is able. The difference maker of this individual's life, as we go into it, it's found in Genesis 38:2, and the Lord was with Joseph. And I believe Joseph lived with a constant awareness of that truth. He was learning, and he did come to understand God's sovereignty. But one of the things that we need to understand in our lives and to ask ourselves truly is how sensitive is our awareness? That God is with us. That no matter what you're facing today, what's coming at you, what chapter of life you're in, that you have the presence of God alongside you to help you through every situation simply because he loves you and he's there for you. Here's the challenge going into Joseph's life. It'll be a re-challenge at the end of his life. Our hearts are going to go into one of two different directions is life can throw cruelty. Life can throw challenges. Life can throw things that we don't understand. We have the opportunity to grow bitter or we have the opportunity to grow better. And we need to open up with that thought as we look at this individual's life. We live in a day where iniquity is abounding. There's selfish, self-love out there, anti-Christ agendas. But is my heart trekking on the path of better in the eyes of God? Or is my heart growing bitter because of my experience with men? 
Proverbs 4.26 says that we are to ponder the path of our feet. It's a necessity of honest personal assessment of where I'm at today and where that will carry me into my tomorrows. May God use this this, uh, man's life to encourage us and maybe even to free us and to challenge us from where we are at today by the time we're done with it. And who knows, 13 chapters could take 13 weeks and maybe by that time we'll be able to meet them face to face. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Now, We could read that real quick, but one of the things that I want to remind you is in Genesis 31, verse 13, he was told to return unto the land of thy kindred, and we find him there. All right, now that's a big thing for Jacob. All right, so so now we actually find him doing what God had been saying. There's a spiritual transition here that's, that's taking place because now we see this individual is choosing to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. But when did it take place? Well, it took place on the other side of chapter 35 and 34, which to me is the other side of brokenness. The raping of his daughter. His sons that made an absolute disaster by making carnage in the city in Shechem. Stealing everything that was in that city, including taking the wives and the daughters. The sadness of last week's chapter for him. The loss of his nanny. The one that would have been his connection to mom. Remember, Joseph, when they set that plan in motion, she goes, go to my brothers for a few days, and he never saw his mom again. So anything that he knew about his mom would come through this nanny, Deborah. The loss of the love of his life, Rachel. His wife went to be with the Lord. And then also saying goodbye to his father, Isaac. His dad was gathered to his people. You see, there was brokenness that had to take place in Jacob's life. But we find here on the other side of that, we find Jacob being where God had asked him to be. Jacob doing what God had asked him to do. I don't know, maybe the loss of those three people so close to him, you know, that... that Ecclesiastes tells us, and I share this at every funeral I do, that death is the destiny of all men and the living should take that to heart. Maybe all of a sudden he was recognizing that, you know what? It's not too long and I'm going to follow the same direction those three went. And I want to renew my commitment to God because I want to finish well. I'm sick of having this life of compromise and partial obedience. And he learned and he turned. It says here that he dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. 
You know, Hebrews tells us about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they saw the promises of far off and were persuaded by them and embraced them. And they confessed that they were strangers and that they were pilgrims on the earth. They recognized that this life was just a life of passing through. That they were citizens of another kingdom and they served the king of that kingdom. And it caused them not to be settlers here. Even for us as believers, I don't know if you feel this in you. I hope you feel this in you. Because I've been noticing this more and more as the days, the months, and the years are going on in my life. That even as when we're at our homes, that we sense that we're not home. That there's a form of homesickness in us. And that homesickness is because we recognize that heaven's our home. And the head of that kingdom is the one that we want to be with face to face. We want to see a transition of our faith become in sight and be embraced by Christ in the physical realm when we step into his kingdom. Verse 2 says, these are the generations of, of Jacob. Joseph was 17 years old, okay? Now, I found this ironic that I'm teaching. I, I don't think I've ever taught on Joseph before. But, but we chose to name our, our, our son Joseph based upon this character. And based upon because Danelle wouldn't let me name him Moses. This is why we named him Joseph, because of this character. And, you know, I'm on the way to the dentist the other day. I'm like, this is so ironic, man. I got my Joe with me, 17, and I looked at him, and he goes, what? I said, you had any dreams lately? He goes, what are you talking about? I I don't, I'm just asking. You know, I said, if you have any in the next six months, let me know. Because we're going to see here at the 17, he's going to be giving some amazing dreams. But, but we look at him, and like I said, 25% of the book is dedicated to him. His name means God will add. Remember, his mom said, give me children or I'm going to die, and she gives Joseph, which means God will add. Joseph and Daniel are the only two in the Bible that there's no mention of any sin in their life, but they were sinners because the Bible declares that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They needed a Savior as much as you and me. But he's 17 years old, and mom's gone. He's got a younger brother, and this younger brother came out of his mom's womb, and she died giving birth to him. His name's Benjamin. But it says here he was feeding the flock with his brethren. It literally means he was shepherding over the flock. His dad had already seen the integrity in this kid's life. And the favor of his father was upon this young man, and he gave him a position of authority over his brethren. Now, we're going to see that that the hearts of his brethren go wrong towards him because his brethren are older, and they're out there with the flocks also. But Joseph had something that his brothers didn't have, integrity and faithfulness. And that's why his, God, his father entrusted him to taking care of his flock. So it says he was out there with the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilphah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Joseph brought the evil report of what Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher were doing when they were out there, supposed to be busy about their father's business, but they were doing evil things. Here's the thing about Joseph. He's not a narc. 
or I've read commentaries. I don't accept any commentaries that put this guy down. He's not a narc. He was an individual that would not settle for evil in other people because he would not settle for evil in himself. He was a righteous individual. And he cared about his father's name. He cared that his father's name would be glorified, that his father's name would be honored amongst the people of the land. Verse 3 says, now, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Okay, so, so good. Israel loved Joseph, but he did it more than all his children. You know, unfortunately, this is what he did. So we see his name's Israel now, but we know this is Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. But you know what he did? He took the failures of the home that he grew up with in, and he brought them to his own home. Remember the favoritism? You know, his dad liked his brother Esau, man. He was, he was like the man's man. You know, the hunter, the venison guy. You know, go out and get me meat. And then Jacob, he was kind of the mama's boy. Well, let's stay home and cook up some recipes, make some food. He was kind of that uh, the home and garden channel kind of guy, you know. But unfortunately, there, there was favoritism, and I'm going to tell you something, moms and dads, check your heart. I don't know why that's there. I've got children. I love them at the equal plane. Favoritism is family poison. Favoritism is family poison. It's unhealthy. It's not fair. And it's disheartening. But it says here that Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And maybe because, you know, you get older, you just chill out, you know, and you know, I know for us, I mean, we got an eight-year-old, Raina, you know, and, and she can be naughty. And, uh, and my older kids are always like, we, we never got away with that. You go so much easier on her. And she's eight years old. I just tell them, well, she's just a baby, you know. <laughs> I don't know if that's why you just get older, you get a little bit more mellower or whatever, but it says here that, that because... He was the son of his old age, and it says here that he made him a coat of many colors, okay? Now, the love and the favor of the father here is showing him. He, he gives him this, coach, this coat, but, but I want you to think this isn't like some psychedelic 1960s, you know, outfit that he's wearing here or anything. But, but this is really, it means a coat that, that went to the extremities. It, it, and, and it was worn by king's sons and it expressed family preeminence. And usually it would be the son that would inherit the blessing and the birthright. Now remember, Reuben was the oldest. He should have inherited the blessing and the birthright. But his actions, the chapter before, caused him to forfeit that when he slept with his father's wife. <laughs> I know, crazy stuff in Genesis. But, but that's what was going on. But the love and the favor of his father caused him to clothe him with this beautiful coat that was representative of the fact that he, these things were worn by the king's sons. Isaiah 61.10 says this, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. He hath clothed me with garments of salvation. He's covered me with a robe of righteousness. That's what we wear today. 
Why? Because we're loved of our Father. We're favored of our Father. That's what you and I, we don't have a coat of many colors. We have garments of salvation. We have a robe of righteousness. That's what God sees over our lives. Verse 4 says, and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all the brethren, they hated him and they couldn't speak peaceably unto him. And verse 5 says here, and Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told it to his brethren. Now, now look at, remember, Joseph doesn't have a Bible to turn to. He can't, he can't turn to the book of Genesis and see what's going to happen in his life. All he had was God and God's chosen avenue to communicate with Joseph, at least recorded in the scriptures, he would speak to him through dreams and visions. Today, you and I, we have the word. That's what God speaks to us through. The Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis to Revelation. And it's the way God wants to communicate his plan and his love for each one of us. But Joseph didn't have that. So one of the things I, gotta, I want you to know that, that is, is he's given a dream. He's given more than a dream. He's given a life anchor. He's actually going to have two dreams. But these are more than dreams. They are life anchors for him. It's something for him to hold on to because he has no idea what lies ahead. And I'm telling you, when God speaks a word into your life, you need to allow it to be an anchor for you. Because he gives it to you now because he knows how much you're going to need it in the future. I don't put a lot of stock in dreams. I've had some crazy ones over the years. I'll spare you all the details. But here's one of the things that we need to recognize this was God's chosen avenue to speak to him, to communicate to him. But I believe we're living in the last days. And we're told in Acts chapter 2, preached by Peter, referenced Joel, the prophet, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Okay, old guys, <laughs> I don't know where I'm at in that list. My mind says I'm one of the young guys, but I played softball yesterday and my, bo my body's telling me I'm one of the old guys. For me personally, over all the years, I've had two dreams I know that were given to me from God because the spiritual implications of them were extreme, extreme. I can't even tell you I have the interpretation of those dreams, but I knew they came to me from him. And I can see him at this moment visually in my heart as much as I could the night that he gave them to me. Verse 5 says this, And he dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Okay, so this is fuel on the fire. And he said unto him, Here I pray you this dream which I dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheath arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood around and, and, and made obeisance to my sheath. I mean, it's like, Joseph, put a little bit of gas on the fire here, you know? And, and his brethren said, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed... Have dominion over us? And they hated him, yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And look at this, verse 9 says, He dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren. He goes, Hey, I got another one for you. 
case you didn't hate me enough, I got one more for you. But I totally believe, I don't believe this guy's trying to twist a dagger. I don't believe he's trying to, to uh, hit a nerve or pick a scab or anything like that. I believe that these dreams were so impressioned upon him from God that I believe that his brothers needed to know this dream. And I don't even know if Joseph knows exactly why at this point. I know he doesn't, why they would need to know it. But they needed to know this dream. The sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren emptied him, but his father observed the saying. So we see here the, the second dream has the first implications of the first dream. But we look here, and there's two different directions that our hearts can go, all right? Especially you look at this and, you know, he's a brother. They've they got the same, the same really identity, you know? And it's very easy for people that, that can identify maybe in the same field or in the same family or whatever to allow things like this to take place in our life. But, but look what happens here with the brothers. They envy him. Now, now, it's the sin of jealousy over the blessings and the achievement of others. That's what this envy is. And the Bible says that it's like rottenness of the bone. It led to the first murder that we see in the Bible when we looked at months ago, Cain slew in his brother Eve, uh, Abel. And it led to a 15-year manhunt of King Saul attempting to murder King David. We recognize that before Pilate knew it, that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they delivered Jesus over unto envy. And unfortunately, none of us are exempt from it because it's part of our fallen nature that needs to be crucified. And I think one of the greatest things that we can do in our lives when it comes to uh, keeping ourselves free from envy or jealousy is to make sure that we are totally content with God's lot in our life. If, it, if their lives would have been preceded by contentment, and what God was doing in their life and what God had called them to, I don't think they would have grown in such hatred for their brother. Envy is preceded by the absence of contentment and followed by hatred and murder. And we can sit here and say, well, I've never murdered anyone. But 1 John 3 tells us whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. Because that's what envy leads to. It goes from envy to hatred, to murder. You see it with Cain and Abel. You can see it with King David and King Saul. And you can see it with the Pharisees and Jesus. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come and I'll send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. And he said, Go. And I pray thee, see whether it be well with my brethren. I think the reality is Jacob didn't trust these boys, but he traced, trusted this boy. He sent out his son with character to get a report back to him from his other sons that didn't have good character. And he said, Go, I pray thee, and see whether it be well with the brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. There's something that Israel or Jacob didn't know at this moment. 
this obedient son that was commissioned to go on his command, obeyed his father, and he went on his command. And Jacob or Israel had no idea that he wouldn't see this young boy again for 22 years. He had no, no clue when he watched the back of his head walk away in obedience that he wouldn't see him again for decades. And the sad thing is, that whole time he was gone, we're going to find out Jacob thought he was dead. And I can't imagine the regrets that maybe were running through his mind, oh, if I never sent him, oh, if he just for once wouldn't listen to me. The regrets that, that might have went through him. You know, if I didn't send him that day, if his brothers could only be trusted. Sometimes we look back with the if I onlys. Every one of us probably have a couple of those in our lives, if I onlys. But you know, often even in our mistakes, that the sovereignty of a loving God who's worthy of our trust can bring our lives to a point where he can work good regardless of what we've done regardless of the regrets that maybe we had. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed thence. I heard him say, Let us go to Dothan, which is the city of the two wells. And, and Joseph went after his brother. He found him in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Okay, now they've got, there's so much hatred in their heart. That's why you've got to be so diligent to not allow the seeds of envy or hatred to grow in your heart because of the potential of where it could take you to. If there's envy or hatred in your heart, the greatest thing that you can do for the glory of God and the good of yourself is to repent of it at this moment. If, if there's something or someone there, you need to repent of it at this moment because it'll carry you to places that you never thought you'd ever go. These are his brothers. And they're conspiring, man. This is a sinister plot. Here he comes. He dies. We're agreeing together. We're going to kill him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beasts have devoured him. And we shall see what shall come of his dreams. Oh, they will see what shall come of his dreams. They have no idea. They're living in chapter 37. They have no idea what's going to take place in the, in the 40s chapter. They actually had developed a plan to kill their future life source. They had no idea what those, when those dreams came to play. At this moment, they had a plan to kill their future life source. And, but Reuben, look at, but Reuben, verse 21, Reuben, okay, be a Reuben. Not last week's Reuben, this week's Reuben. Okay, last week's Reuben fell into sexual immorality. Bad. Um, this week's Reuben. He heard it and delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. So we see this here with, with, with Reuben. The older is looking out for the younger. 
because there's a plan to destroy. Well, what do you mean by that? This is what I mean by that. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for years. But there's a lot of people around here that have only been walking with the Lord for a short period of time. And there's a plot to bring destruction. Take time and look out for your brothers and sisters. Because we have a real invisible enemy whose plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. This ain't playground. This is battleground. This brother looked out for his younger brother. And he intercepted that plan that that Joseph's enemies had for him. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And trust me, Joseph will remember this someday. Reuben chooses to stop evil in its tracks. He's outnumbered by his brothers. So he chose to outsmart them. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood. He had no idea. No idea the future implications of this righteous intervention that he's going to exercise at that moment. You have no idea that when you're in a situation and you choose to do the right thing, the future implications and fruit that can be birthed from that. No idea. It's as simple as this. When you're put in a situation, do the right thing. He says here that we would shed no blood. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph of his coat his coat of many colors that was upon him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. So I want you to think about this, okay? Now, I'm sure they didn't really nicely take the jacket off. Could you you please pull your sleeve up? No, they roughed him up. They roughed him up, and if Joseph was a six-foot man, the average uh, jump height of a a 17-year-old is about 20 inches, 19.5 to be accurate. The arm reach can go up to eight feet. So at a minimum, he was 10 feet down in this this, uh, pit. And and it would be like falling off a 10-foot ladder into this pit, maybe even deeper, but not even like falling off it, like getting thrown off it into this pit. So what do we see here? We see Joseph earlier, he was a victim of verbal abuse. Now we see him being a victim of physical abuse. The pit was empty and there was no water. And one of the things that that we don't see in this chapter, we'll see in chapter 42 in the rest of this account until he goes off with this caravan is that he was pleading with them in anguish of soul. So much of who Joseph is, is a picture of Jesus Christ. He's so Christ-like. Hated and rejected of his own. Jesus came to his own. His own believed him not. They rejected him. Mistreated of his own. Yet loved to the Father. 
So he's in this pit, and look what verse 25 says. They sat down to eat. (laughs) Unbelievable. But here's the thing. What do you do when life's in the pit? All right, because for us as believers, you know, the pit, really, it's a place where you're alone. It's dry. Maybe it's dark. You've been wronged, mistreated, harmed. People around you don't seem to care. When you're put in a situation like that, because it's not uncommon for the disciple of Jesus Christ, you've got to trust your unknown future to the God you know. You've got to remember what God showed you in the light when you're sitting in the dark. And you've got to know that the very presence of God abides with you. When Stephen referenced the life of Joseph and gave this Old Testament survey Bible study in the book of Acts chapter 7, just before he became the first martyr of the church, it says, And the patriarchs that were moved with envy, they sold Joseph into into Egypt, But God was with him. But God was with him. And I wonder, for Stephen at that moment, when he was being mistreated the very same way that that Joseph was, I wonder if that very testimony of what he was sharing with them was not the comfort that he was walking in himself. I think they're going to kill me, but God is with me. Paul said at the end of his life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 16 and 17, though all forsook me, he said the Lord stood by me and strengthened me as he sits in a dungeon awaiting decapitation for the gospel. Joseph carried out obediently the will of his father that loved him. And this is where he ended up. Obedience does not put you in the cushiest of circumstances. Sometimes we get in circumstances so difficult, and you're like, Lord, what did I do wrong? Maybe you're there because of everything you're doing right. Chapter 37 is not the end of the story. Genesis does not end here. I'm sure it didn't feel like God was with him. I'm sure he might not even been thinking that God is with him. But regardless, it's irrelevant. Because the truth is, God was with him. We can focus on the situation. And we can go from dissecting it to panning back from it. We're at chapter 37, but as we pan back from 40... 45 and 50. And we watch this amazing testimony of Joseph's life. If you never read it, you're in for a wonderful surprise. That panning back from this situation into 40, 45, and 50 causes us to draw this conclusion. God is doing something so much bigger in our lives than what we currently see. You might see the pit today, but you don't see the throne tomorrow. 
God is doing something so much bigger than what we see in our lives. Jesus said this in John 13, 7 to his disciples just before he went to be crucified as he's watching their, washing their feet. What I do, thou knowest not now. And maybe that's you. You're wondering, Lord, I'm trying to walk with you, but what you're doing, I don't know what you're doing right now. Jesus would say that. What I do, thou knowest not now. And there's a semicolon put in there by the Holy Spirit. And a semicolon is used to create a pause between two main clauses that is more pronounced than a comma and can be stretched out for a period of time. So it would read kind of like this. What I do, thou knowest not now. It's your process in your life. It's your process in your current circumstances. You're processing this thing that has got such a focal point on you. But you shall know hereafter. He had no idea in chapter 37. And, it, and it's even going to get worse for him. <clears throat> but I can promise you this, that when it looks like God is doing nothing, God's doing something. When it feels like God is not there, God's right there. When you're sitting in the pit, you're not sitting there alone because all you can see is the chapter in life that you're currently in. You can't see it from God's view. You can't see the end of the story. You can't see the rest of the story. But Joseph's life encourages us as we pan back. God is doing something so much bigger than what we see with our eyes. We have to have faith to believe God is doing something when it looks and it feels like he's doing nothing. Verse 25 says they, they sat down to eat bread. <laughs> Lifted up their eyes and looked. Behold, the company of the Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going down to Egypt. Now, I don't, I don't want to rush this last section that we're looking at here. Um, but I can tell you this, that the good hand of God was on this young man. And there was nothing about his life that was easy. I'm going to tell you, Christians, man, there's salesmen out there behind pulpits these days that are trying to get you to sign up for Easy Street. Doing Christianity right is not Easy Street. Living for the purposes of God in your life is not easy street. The Bible tells us it's a narrow street, but it leads to life. And few will find it. So as we look at an individual like this and, and we see the things that were going on in his brother's heart, trust me, God is worthy of our unconditional trust because God knows what he's doing. That's where faith kicks in in our lives that we choose to trust God when we don't understand. We choose to trust God when we don't know. We choose to trust God when you're just doing your best to walk with him 
and everything's falling apart. Life is going to pieces. We choose to trust God. Let's stand and pray. This is an amazing chapter, but I didn't want to sell the end of it short, so we're going to break at this point, and we're going to see what happens with the rest of him as we get into this next week. But hang in there for this story because it's so encouraging. Because you know what you see behind? You, you see, regardless of everything going on, corrupt brothers. We're going to find out accusations. Forgotten, rejected. But in the midst of it all, faithful God. So, Father, as we come before you, we thank you that we look at these people in your word. They're heroes to us. But, Father, you've you've given us so much more than they even had. They were actually living out what they were living so that this is something that we could have. I ask, Lord, that, that when we look at, at the character of this individual whose robe was stripped from him, but they could not strip his character from him, that we too, Lord, would, would choose a life that would bring great glory and honor to you regardless of our life circumstances. I pray, Father, for those who are here today and they're in a pit. They don't understand it's cold, it's dark, they've been betrayed. That they would know, Lord, that you're with them. But God was with Joseph. But God, you're with each one of us. And I ask your blessing over your people here today. And I pray the truths that we looked at today in the scriptures today, would you'd use them in a way to edify us, to actually build us up because we've got ministry to do outside of these walls. I pray, Father, that you'd put like the spirit of Arubin in each one of us, that, that, that we would be looking out for the younger ones. That we would be looking out for one another. That we'd be looking out for one another's brothers and sisters because we recognize that there's a plot of destruction in play that the enemy has for each one of us and we've got to look out for one another. Father, help us in situations to have righteous intervention. And I pray, God, as as we sit here today, Lord, we, we come in here, Lord, because of your grace. We stand in your presence because of your grace and your mercy because you're so loving, you're so kind, you're so good. We recognize, Lord, that there's fallen fabric inside each one of us. And we recognize that envy and jealousy can can grow in our hearts and it can lead to hatred. Father, if any of us have seen it in us today, Lord, we want to repent, we want to give it to you and ask that you take it from us and that we would choose to be content with what you're doing in our life, Lord. You told us godliness with contentment is great gain, and we want to gain today. Help us to be content with the life that you've given us. I ask your blessing over your people. I ask your blessing over the fathers that are here today. Oh, God, grace us to finish our course as well for your glory as we await your return for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. If anybody needs prayer about anything, you can come up. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.